On today's episode of Chirpin' DMV, we are joined by Patrick Giles, and we're talking all things Landon, the U.S. development team, and Boston College hockey. We're also talking the NHL draft lottery and how people are pissed off about it, the Hall of Fame class, and some cap social clips, and Todd Reardon's interview with NHL Network. Lastly, we're joined by Sandra Dragoneu, the in-arena host for the Washington Capitals. So, pitter-patter, let's get at her. He didn't yeah. want to let Backstrom down. He didn't want to let OV down. If I go to Rocket Bar, I know I'm getting pretty fucked up. I think this is a good player. He's a very good, skilled player. The Hurricanes are fucking garbage. Dude, if you played the Billy Bruins back in the day, you knew this play. DMV episode 64 of Chirpin DMV. Again, it is just me and AB because Kyle is still on the IR with his brain damage. So AB, what's happening, man? How was your weekend? Pretty good. We went out to Nags Head for a combined bachelor bachelorette party. Um, I think there was probably 18 of us that went. Yeah, it looked like and more and more people kept coming on Snapchat. We had um we had a big ass like house that fit, I mean, fit all of us. Everyone had their own bed, and we actually had a couple extra. Um, we had a pool, a hot tub, right on the beach, so it was pretty sweet. It was a uh, it was a good time. It's a uh, shout out Amanda uh, Amanda Graham and Andrew Garner. Their wedding is um in August eighth. If it still happens, I'm pretty sure. Like right now, it's still planning to happen. But, yeah, got there. We left Wednesday night. Um. Me, well, me, Jake Miller, Brandon Poole, and Morgan went Wednesday night uh, just to, I don't know, just to get there and then got up and at him. And on Thursday, got to the beach and pretty much were, was on the beach for 10 hours a day. Like, yeah. we get out on the beach at 11 a.m., leave at like, I don't know, probably like 5.30 or 6, I guess. And we were, like, me and Drew were pretty much running cornhole all weekend long, just running hmm. the table. And then we were playing spike ball, like, the entire time, and my body is very sore. <laughs> it looked like um, you guys were playing some good drinking games, too. What was the one where everybody was, like, in a fucking, like, train going around the table? It was like a, um, it was like a locomotive, just like, sure. You guys are playing oh, some type of drinking game where everybody's just, like, going around, like, like musical chairs or something. Yeah, it was, musical flip, it was musical flip cup. It, oh, like, shit, okay. Like, everyone, just whoever comes in last, you're out. And That's I was kind of wild definitely cheating the entire time <laughs> like every time they weren't looking i was just flipping it over or i was just like i was out and then i got out one time and i was just throwing my cup at other people's while they were still trying to flip it <laughs> fuck with everyone i was no, i was pretty wasted yeah um, you looked like you're buzzing a bit you look like you're on the beach the whole weekend look like a pretty good time it's kind of it's kind of wild though yeah like i said it looked like there's a good 20 people there if you're doing a combined party yeah it was pretty dope um at first i was like this might suck because I'm like the only single person there. Me and Brandon Poole are like the only single people there. Mm-hmm. Like Is that the big else. guy chugging beer bongs at like 10 a.m. Oh yeah, Brandon. Oh yeah, dude. He went through. He, he. I think at like 11, like as we're walking on, he's like, "Well, six pack of beer bongs in the morning. That'll get you going." I was like, "Jesus Christ, fuck, man." I mean, went on vacation, I guess. It was a great performance. One of the one of the better performances I've ever seen. Yeah, so I imagine you two were just buzzing harder than everybody else since everybody there was wifed up and all that good stuff. Well, yeah, but, like, Danielle's pregnant, so Drew is, like, kind of just drinking with us the entire time. Um, and Jake was, like, Morgan's pregnant, so Jake was also drinking. Like, we were all just drinking the entire time. Right. So, And then 
and and playing beach games the entire day basically yeah that sounds good uh pretty low weekend here didn't do much because we've got a big one ahead of us this weekend with fourth of july at the bay house oh i know dude we've got a big one so i was like all right let me let me let me settle the horses here keep it calm and then unleash the fury next weekend uh it is monday afternoon we're recording it's like two o'clock we're about to drop this as soon as we get done just got off the ice at MedStar, a little stick and puck at 1240. Shout out to Wardo and Innie skating with them, playing a little bit, but we might as well get into it. So the Hershey Bears signed Hunter Shepard. So we got a new goalie in the system, maybe. So I didn't know much about him, and then I started reading up on him once I saw the news. Uh, quoted, touted as one of the top remaining free agent goalies on the market coming out of Minnesota Duluth. Let me read a few stats off to you. In eight career NCAA tourney games, he's 8-0 with a .97 goals against average and a 9.53 save percentage. First goalie to win back-to-back national championships in a half a century. Two-time All-American and NCAA record for consecutive starts at 15. So we got a bit of a stud here. Yeah, I was I just was like scrolling through his stats too, and um, the first I mean his freshman year didn't look like he played that much. Uh, sophomore, junior, senior year he was playing anywhere between 35 to 40 games a season. His save percentage was pretty much always above nine nine one ninety one. Mm-hmm. Uh, goals against average. It looked like I kind of just skimmed through it, but it looked like it was below two almost every single year except for one season, which I was like, that's fucking sick. Yeah. So I think I think with goalies, I mean, this is kind of where you find your, like, hidden gym that can turn into an all-time great. Not just saying he's going to be that, but, I mean, between late-round picks and free agents, I feel like very rarely do you see kind of these generational goalies get picked high in the first round and <clears throat> turn into tenured established goalies in the league. I mean – we are currently seeing it and probably will continue to see it with Carter Hart, but like Hopi was 93rd pick overall. Lunkfist was 205. Uh, Bennington was 88. Pecorine 258th. I mean, so this could end up being a really good goalie here in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Goalies are always hit or miss like every, every single time. That's why, I mean, we have our boys from Philly that were like, mm-hmm. they kept saying Carter Hart's going to be a stud. Carter Hart's going to be a stud, but they, they are, they were also kind of nervous because, Sometimes it just doesn't work out like that. Like you Jacob, never know. Markstrom, Jacob Markstrom is a pretty high pick for Vancouver, I think. And, I mean, he hasn't had the best career, I, I, to say the least. I think right now he plays he plays for Buffalo. I'm not saying he's a terrible goalie, but, I'm just, again, he's not, he's not a top stud. And then – but then, again, you do have those guys like Vasilevsky who was drafted in the first round, and he's a fucking stud. Um, yeah. Like Angarask, like 21st Price. overall. Yeah. But like you said, I mean, Malcolm Subban, first round pick, he's pretty much a backup. Yeah. Um, you got, and then, yeah, Holpe, you already listed off the greats right there Holpe, Lundquist. Uh, I'm not sure how late Tuka Rask went. Tuka Rask uh, was like 21st overall, I think, when I was looking it up earlier. So I kind of left him out of the combo. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, Pecorini was 258th. I mean, Bennington, we know his career. I mean, he was drafted 88th, but he's spent how long in the AHL until last season? Yep. yep. So, so it'd be tight. It'd be tight to have a, Pretty much a one-two punch in net with Sam uh, Samsonov. I mean, we've seen he looks pretty yeah. good. I mean, uh, I believe this is a just a contract with Hershey. I don't think it's a two-way NHL entry contract. So, I mean, obviously the notion with doing that as we continuously nail the hammer on the head of Holpe leaving is that either <clears throat> Copley or Vanacek as Sammy's backup next year, barring signing a cheap veteran, which I don't think we'll do because I think we're going to want to keep as much money as possible for keeping guys like Dylan and. Yeah. Names like that, so I don't think we're going to sign a veteran. Back up. I'll say this: Hunter Shepard, very good hockey name. Yeah, 
Connor, Connor Shepard's a good goalie name. Good hockey it's name. A, it's a good hockey name. It's a very good hockey name. So I'm good. I'm so, cool with that. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I imagine this kid will be playing back up in Hershey next year, and maybe you know if he balls out for a couple of years, and we'll see him up in, uh, we'll see him up in DC once hope when Sammy hits his Holpe prime, like we kind of saw with Holpe over the past years. Once he got up, and once Sammy gets up in that prime, this kid might be the next Samsonov coming in. So you never know. You, you know what does kind of like not suck about these situations is usually like how these situations come about where you find this next like once in a generation level of player mm-hmm. is usually it comes from an injury. Yeah. Like you think about it, hope he didn't get his start until who was it? Varley that got hurt. Yeah. Varley and, and Neuverth. I think they were both hurt. So we were like, Oh fuck. And then hope he comes in, wins us a fucking series, a seven-game series against Boston and basically stands on his head. And we're like, oh, shit, who the fuck do we have This guy here? from Hershey's pretty good. Yeah, and then, I mean, again, Bennington, that same thing happened to Bennington. The Blues had a hurt goalie. He came uh-huh. in, he started tearing it up. Uh, look at Elvis Merzlingas this, this year for Columbus. I mean, Yeah, yeah, that's true, too. Corpusala was hurt. Elvis Merzlingas gets in because he's because of an injury, and he lights it up. So, I mean, if that's – the case, well, I mean, we'll see. I th- I, but I feel like that's how these situations kind of always play out. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess we just got to wait and see. It's going to be years down the road. But, yeah, once I, once I saw the news and started actually looking into the kid, I was like, holy shit, he looks really good. So, yeah, so. <laughs> we'll see. So, we'll get into some cap social stuff, some stuff around social media. NHL, they've been doing their thing for like a month now where it's the best player to each wear each, wear each number in the league. Sorry. Uh, so, Ovi, greatest player to wear number eight. Uh, no doy. I couldn't even think of anyone else. Uh, like, Cam Neely and Timu Solani, but Timu didn't wear eight his whole oh, career. Yeah. I was going to say Timu. I got Cam, Cam Neely. The first one I thought of was like Igor Larionov, I think. I think he wore number eight or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I think most of the debate, a lot of people were saying Timu, Timu in the comments, but it's like, all right, yeah, that's a good argument, but it's not valid. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry. So, I think, has he already passed Timu in the goals? Oh, yeah, he's passed Timu yeah. in everything. Yeah, so, so – Or whatever. So he's also, still, he's still yeah. got six years in his career. <laughs> yeah, like, come on. Like, settle down, people. Also, on the topic of Ovi, he's back in D.C. The, the video the Caps put up the other day of Ovi kind of mic'd up on the ice, skating around for the first time. <sighs> that got me fucking going. I don't know if you saw yeah. it, but I watched it about 800 times. Yeah, I, I saw it. I'm just – again, I, wanna, I just, I just want to see a game. I, I, need to see, I need to see a game to get me going. Yeah, that's true, too. That's true, too. Uh, next up, Backstrom is on his way back. So I don't know if you saw his, but him and Burakovsky called a private jet back to the States together. So good to yeah, see those two that. back together. That was, that was kind of tight. Which is like Nick Backstrom just goes up to Andre Burakovsky. Yo, you want to hit my pri- uh, private jet on the way back? I'm like, sure, why not? Right. <clears throat> so get those two guys back together. So that was cool to see. Uh, another thing we saw on social, Tom Wilson in a Kovalchuk jersey, an old school Thrasher jersey, and he tagged Kovalchuk, asking him if he'd sign it for him. Yeah, that's funny as fuck. <laughs> dude, those are some dope-ass jerseys, cool too. Cool jerseys. Those blue ones, the powder dude, blue? Yeah, with the sleeve. The one sleeve was, like, navy blue or whatever. Yeah, and it's just had Atlanta down the side. The two sleeves were just completely different, which was the coolest part about them, I think. Yeah, it was, that was dope. That was dope back then. Yeah, and then so he's like, yeah, Kovalchuk, why don't you come sign this? And then uh, last one we got here, I don't know if you saw this, but OV Jr. out in the driveway once they got back to Virginia. He's just ripping clap bombs into the net. Yep, he's, he's already training. It's awesome. I've been I've seen a million videos of that of him just shooting pucks into a net. Yeah, so he's future number one pick. So we do have two interviews today. First one's gonna be Patty Giles. Patty's the man. 
Boston College, assistant captain for Boston College, DMV kid, two championships at Landon, uh, silver medal for the U18 World Championships, Team USA. That's a good half an hour. And then to end the episode, we got Sandra Dragoneu. She's the in-arena caps host. So she was a good talk. She's the one that does all the spot the cow games and the might on nice video. I'm sure we've all seen the viral one with the kid uh, that talks about his tarantula. So two good interviews coming up. So last thing before we get to that Patty Giles interview, AB, let's talk about it. The NHL draft lottery and people are not happy because the number one overall pick, which is probably going to be Alex Lafreniere or however he is, you spell yeah. it, that really good Canadian kid is going to a playoff team. Yeah, and I think – I guess the top teams that, like, have a, like, solid chance are, like, Toronto and Pittsburgh. The most controversial teams would be Edmonton, Toronto, and Pittsburgh. If he goes to any of those three teams, everyone's going to say that this shit is rigged. Yeah, I mean, it's – it's. I think it is only teams that lose in that first round here. But, um, yeah, like I said, what if Toronto loses? What if Pittsburgh loses? What if, like, Montreal loses? What if any of these teams loses? Like, how bad – how pissed are you going to be if th- this kid, Alex Lafrain, goes to Pittsburgh? Like, get the fuck out of here. Yeah, dude, that's going to be uh, – like, now we're rooting for Pittsburgh to win, and we got to play them in the first round or something like that. I mean, looking at teams that could lose in the first round, I mean, what if Toronto loses? What if Pittsburgh loses? What if the Islanders lose? What if the Canes lose? What if Calgary loses? What if the Oilers lose? What if Vancouver loses? And what if Nashville loses? Like what the oh, fuck? it'd be kind of low key. Would be tight if Vancouver lost and they got him, dude. They would be fucking loaded. Well, yeah, I'd that's be happy if like a team like that got it. A team that I like, kind of like. Yeah, I was gonna say that. That's your team too. If Vancouver ends up ended up getting them, I'd holy be, yeah, shit. I'm all aboard. Him and him and uh, Elias Peterson. Holy shit, dude. Yeah, so, unreal. That's uh, not a lot of unhappy fans. A lot of butthurt people about it. So <laughs> yeah, but I, I will say this. Isn't it – I mean, it's the way the draft is – the draft lottery is made. Like, they don't make it so that the first – like, the last place team is an automatic, obviously. I mean, we've seen it. Yeah. But, like, isn't it – like, don't they only have, like, a 24% chance of actually landing that pick, which is very, very low? I think um, at the highest, yes. I mean, Detroit, you just talked about it, 17 wins, and they get the fourth pick. Dude, if they – they should, like, make a rule where, like, if you are in last place by so much, you can't like, get worse than like the second pick. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, exactly. Would they get the fourth? They got four. So the Senators, I mean, the Kings got second. The Senators got third from San Jose. It's their pick from San Jose. So the Senators get the number three and the number five pick. Yeah, I mean, well, that's that's good for them. But I mean, they were also really bad. They, but the Kings got number two, I think, too. Kings got two, yeah. And then, like I said, a. <laughs> I don't. I haven't read too hard into this because it's just kind of obnoxious, and I don't want to read about it yet. But I don't know how it's going to work between they they take the eight teams that lose, I guess, and then how are we going to do this based on like who did better in the regular season gets worse percentage chance to then get that? Or are we doing a whole nother lottery? Like I don't I don't get what they're going to do here. Yeah, that's a good that's a good question too. I like they would have to almost do another lottery, I think. Yeah, because you can't like give... the higher seeds, whoever like whoever the higher seeds that like lose, or lower seeds, I guess in this like like yeah. if Pittsburgh loses as as a fifth seed, they sh- they still shouldn't have like they shouldn't have as good as a chance as say the number twelve seed Blackhawks if they were to lose. Exactly. So I don't know. It's 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 a weird it's a weird situation. The other question is for like the other NHL teams like that do have a shot at getting this kid now. Uh huh. Or is would you rather 
win in the first round or and make it like pretty far but not win a Stanley Cup or would you rather just lose immediately and, and just get qualifying the, and get the number and, one pick yeah like I don't know like it I guess it kind of depends on the team but like if I'm a Blackhawks fan I don't think we're gonna win this year yeah you know so why not because the and thinking of them as a 12 seed they they have the same I'm sure like I said this is all hypothetical because we haven't read yet so this could be right this could be wrong uh, you'd imagine if Colorado, I mean, not Colorado, fucking Chicago and the Canadians both lose as 12 seeds, they have to have probably the same to similar um, chance of getting that first overall pick. I don't know how yeah, deep yeah. they're going to go into wins and losses and shit like that, but. Yeah, I would, I would tend to agree with you. I mean, it's, again, again, and there's another team right there in Montreal. It's like, dude, let's not even, let's not even try to win this first round. Like, I don't think Montreal stands a chance of winning a cup. Do you? I don't think so. I mean, we've talked about it. Carey Price can steal you a five-game series, but he's not going to steal you all the way to the conference finals or the, even the cup for yeah, that matter. Yeah, he's not going to steal you 16 wins. Or yeah, he's not going to steal 16 wins for you. Wins? Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, 16, 17, 18, 19, 19 wins. Yeah, he's, I mean, he can do that in a three-game or five-game series easily, but I don't know. Yeah. So that's all we got on and the NHL draft lottery, but, I mean, last thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean that's it's just gonna be interesting to see. Well, I'm gonna be very fucking mad if it's Toronto or Pittsburgh, or Carolina or Columbus, any or team Carolina. in the Metro. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, or the Oilers again, or the Oilers again. Yeah, <laughs> again. What are they in their first? How many? How many number one picks have they had in the past like seven years? Probably like four. It's a lot. I mean, they were talking about. Um, uh, they were talking about it on NHL the other day, like reading the comments on one of the Facebook posts. And it's, uh, it's like, uh, well, they're talking about all the first round picks. We got Yonkapov, who was obviously terrible. Uh, yep. Taylor Hall, oh. who else did they have? I mean, Nugent McDavid, Hopkins. obviously, Nugent Hopkins. So, <laughs> I mean, Yonkapov is just kind of like, ah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's unreal how lucky they've been in. Mm-hmm. So that's all we got on that. So with that being said, let's kick it over to our first interview with Patty Giles. All right, guys, we now welcome on an awesome guest. We'll, uh, we'll go ahead and be the first to uh, officially recognize you as a local legend here in the DMV hockey community. Back-to-back MAPHL champ with the Landon Bears, silver medalist for Team USA in that U18 World Championships, and newly named assistant captain for Boston College, Patrick Giles. What's up, man? Welcome to the show. What's up, Matt? Thanks for having me. Yeah, glad to have you on, man. So Sandy hooked us up. Uh, we're good friends with him. You're working there. You're training there. So we'll start there. I mean, you've been training a ton over there, I think, outside of, like, uh, working with some kids. So talk a little bit about that. Talk about your off season as a whole. I mean, we were just talking about it, how the difficulty of getting ice and with everything going on. So talk a little bit about how your off season is going. Yeah, so uh, heading back from school, we had to come back mid-March. And uh, as you know, nothing's been open. But uh, with rinks starting to open – uh, I've been over at First Line Training Center uh, over with Sandy, and uh, that facility is just insane. Uh, you know, it's unbelievable. I wish it, I wish it was around longer. And, and kind of when I was when I was playing for Team Maryland and Montgomery Blue Devils right across the street um, at Rockville Rink. So uh, it's good to see all the young talent coming in um, from all around the state and the area. And uh, yeah, I've been there. I'm working there four days a week. Uh, you know, working out there four or five days a week. Uh, so it's a really good spot for me. I mean, you would know a lot better than, you know, a lot of youth kids. I mean, what's the difference in training on that synthetic type of ice and everything he's got there compared to an actual rink? 
Yeah, it's just harder. Uh, you can't you can't cheat yourself, and you you can't glide on that ice as well. So you're really pushing more, and uh, you know having to take more strides. And uh, the the way they have it set up, they've got four mini rinks, uh, so you can really work on your hands and, and shooting, and really hone in on those skills. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting stuff. We're we're supposed to be going up there in the next week or so and shooting a video. But um, so what we like to do with a lot of the local guys, just kind of start at the beginning go from there because, you know, a lot of people that listen can, you know, similarly say, oh, I played for that club, played against them. But uh, take us through it. I mean, when did you start playing hockey? What was the first club you went to and when did it all get started for you? Yeah, so uh, I got to jump around a lot of teams uh, growing up uh, until I left. But uh, I started with Chevy Chase. Uh, my grandmother just took me out to, to actually some figure skating classes <laughs> the first year. Uh, that was around when I was three or four. And then uh, I started with the house teams there. Um, and then probably around six, I transitioned over to Montgomery, uh, Montgomery Blue Devils with a bunch of my buddies and uh, played for Rob Keegan for four years there um, on their Might and Squirts teams. And then moved on to Team Maryland um, for the next couple of years. Uh, and then after that, it kind of got a little crazy with what guys are doing. So a lot of guys left uh, to go boarding school um, or up north. But, uh, you know, a lot of guys wanted to stay local. So I stayed as local as I could uh, and went to the Richmond Generals uh, about two hours away. Mm-hmm. Um, so was a lot it, of guys. Was Coach like there at the time, RC? He was not there, no. No, no it was uh, Pat Kelb was my head coach there. So gotcha. I didn't him, but uh, so I did one year there and then, you know, the bulk of those guys went up, uh, went up north, uh, boarding schools. And then I went to the Skipjacks, which is actually out of Piney Orchard, mm-hmm. uh, which was a great experience. Uh, both Jason and Jared Kirstner coaching that, uh, and they really do a great job, um, you know, attacking every day like a professional. So I thought, I felt like that was a really good experience for me. Um, and then, yeah, after that kind of headed, uh, headed to Michigan for the NTDP for a couple of years. Yeah, so, yeah, you, you kind of hopped around a bit, whereas, I mean, I'm sure you know a lot of the kids in this area, they'll kind of pick a club and just stick with it and stay loyal to that club. But, I mean, yeah. coming up, what was your schedule like as a kid? I mean, a, a lot of the stuff you see nowadays, like kids are playing like 75 to 100-game seasons, and it's nonstop training, all-fights video. And it seems like it's 365. I mean, was your schedule that jam-packed, or did you kind of mix in some free yeah. time to? I feel like schedules now are getting more and more intense, uh, you know, with the younger kids. Uh, for me, it was just more just traveling. I feel like I was mit- missing a bunch of school. Um, mm-hmm. The tournaments were always in Detroit and Chicago uh, and Toronto. So um, it was kind of it was kind of hard staying on top of my school there. But yeah, it's it's a lot of video, uh, a lot of training off ice, and then obviously finding ice or skating three days a week before school and after school. So kind of going all the time. Yeah, so would you say it's kind of important to not overdo it and kind of separate yourself physically and mentally from the game for a bit? Even I mean, as, as a 15-year-old kid, too, you don't want to be yeah. pushing oh, that yeah. insane. 100%. And I think a big part of that uh, also is just playing other sports. Um, like, I, I went to Landon, and they really pushed, you know, academics, but also uh, athletics and making sure you're not just playing one sport and picking a fall, winter, and spring. Uh, so I played lacrosse for them and actually water polo. <laughs> which, <laughs> no, well, no way. What was water polo like? Oh, my gosh. The hardest thing ever. Because that's uh, just like all cardio, though. I mean, you're just buzzing and you have to yeah, be you're, treading you're, water, tossing yeah, a ball you're, around. You're, yeah, when you're not treading water, someone's throwing you underneath and you're just trying not to drown. And then, you know, you're swimming the full length of the pool and just treading there. And it's just nonstop. 
uh, and that was at like five thirty in the mornings at an outdoor pool. So uh, that sounds terrible, but was, I mean, it keeps you safe in the off season, yeah, I guess. But I mean, that was a grind. So you mentioned landed. Let's get into it. I mean, you inevitably end up there. Come that time when it's time to go to high school, I'm sure a couple teams are buzzing your phone and trying to get you to go there. What were some other prep schools in the area that were trying to get you? Um, I don't think any in the area. I think if I was going to stay local, you know, I, I loved Landon, uh, lower school and middle school. Um, but then, you know, I kind of looked at other boarding schools. Uh, a couple of my friends were at Deerfield or Avon. Um, and all of them, you know, are, are great options. So I kind of went through a, a process there of looking at a lot of schools. But uh, ended up staying with Landon just with, you know, I wanted to stay home for, for as long as I could and, uh, and play with my brothers. So. That was a good experience. For sure. So a guy that's an absolute legend there and a legend around the area in hockey is Coach Hans. I mean, talk about him a bit. I mean, <laughs> what kind of impact did he had on you? What was it like playing for him? And, I mean, he's been around yeah. for ages. So, Yeah, Coach Farnstrom, uh, he, he was great. And he's coached a lot of, a lot of great hockey players uh, going through Landon. Like Sam, Sam Annis, as you know, like Max Greenwald, uh, a bunch of really high-end guys. And, and he was great kind of accommodating with everyone's schedule, you know, playing club in high school, like it's always a constant battle of, you know, what takes priority, uh, like which game are you going to miss to go to a certain practice. Um, and he just did a great job of understanding that guys, you know, guys got to develop outside of Landon too. Um, but then we, when we were there, we, he made sure we were bringing it, um, giving it all we got. So he, he was a really great coach uh, for me with Landon. You mentioned Sam Manis. I mean, that's a guy that pretty much has a very similar path as you played at Landon, came up. You talked to him much. Is he big help, big impact on you? Yeah. So uh, even now, but especially at a younger age, just, you know, a great mentor. And I remember watching uh, in middle school, his senior year, um, he would just light up every team he played. He must've got five points a night. Um, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it was ridiculous. But, uh, and now we're kind of skating together in the summer and he's just been so helpful uh, and I just kind of like to watch him play um, because of how good he is. I just pick anything I can off of him um, and really learn from him. So he's, he's been great for me. So it was, it was two seasons there at Landon, freshman and sophomore year. It's two MAPHL championships. I mean, let's kind of get right into both of those. I know the second one was Gonzaga, and you completely throttled him. Who was the first one? First one, I think, was Calvert Hall. And uh, so that started – the semifinal game was against Amatha, and we were down by two uh, with, you know, a couple minutes left and a big comeback. Uh, you know, seniors were emotional. Like, they thought season was going to be done. Uh, our senior captain – one of our captains, Colton Rupp, gave a great speech in the locker room, um, which I'll always remember. And then – so we won that game in overtime. And then uh, Calvert Hall was another close one. I think it was low scoring, like 3-2 or 3-1. And uh, – and, uh, yeah, we closed it out there. Um, and as a freshman, I was just happy for, for all the older guys um, that were leaving and, like, all so excited. Right. Was that speech kind of a rah-rah, let's get her going, or was it kind of like a mellow, just like, it was honestly, Yeah, it was honestly more just he was kind of speaking from the heart. Uh, he, was, he was suspended that game. Uh, I forget why. Um, but he wasn't playing, so he thought, he thought his career was done. He played – lacrosse at Cornell but uh you know he was hanging up the skates after that game um but thankfully he got another one and, and helped us win the championship thanks so there's the first one then the second one like we said you throttle Gonzaga I mean it's a it's a hat trick and a five-point night for you so my question is were you trying and if you actually were <laughs> trying could you have scored 10 goals in that game 
No, I, I absolutely was fine. <laughs> I remember I was playing. Uh, my older brother was on the team, and uh, Gonzaga. We had some good games with them early in the year, so we were kind of you know going into it like we were all fired up, like pretty nervous. You know, we didn't know what was going to happen, and then. I don't know, after the first period, we're up like four nothing or something. And uh, the coach, like, uh, you know, Hans put me on a line with my brother. Uh, and so we're fired up. Like, my parents are in tears watching. Uh, and then we ended up getting it. our last shift. We got in a fight with, like, five of the Gonzaga guys. Uh, <laughs> and then we both got sent to the box, which was, uh, which was awesome. So it was only two years there, and then you went off to the U.S. development team, right? Yeah. So do you want to take this time to apologize to Landon and the fans for not winning four straight championships? <laughs> I just want to apologize to my younger brother. <laughs> do you keep up with him at all now? Are you familiar with like Coach Erickson or anything there now? Just won a championship? And yeah, I go, uh, yeah I, uh, I go to their games when I'm home for break. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm close with a lot of my brothers uh, and his friends. Um, and I was at their, their championship game. Uh, seeing my brother win, it was awesome. So good to know yeah, that I mean, Jackson's doing a good job kind of talk about that too I mean those I mean you've played in a lot of big games in your life I mean but talk about the kind of the atmosphere though in those MAPHL games because they, they get a little nuts There's they get a little like, jumping at times yeah. it's different when when it's just all your boys and and everyone you know in the stands uh is someone close to you and they know who you are and you know them and uh you know if you make a mistake like you're getting chirped for it the next day yeah um and, but if you got that game winning goal it's going to be talked about on campus uh for a while so it's something special like uh you know there's georgetown prep games gonzaga yeah uh, you know those, those crowds get rowdy and uh landon does a great job their their student section uh gets wild for sure so talking about that decision to leave home i'm sure the answer is an obvious no but was it tough at all to make that decision to head out and go there yeah it actually was a little tough i mean the decision was made easier when uh, I got the call saying I made that team, but uh, I didn't really want to leave, uh, leave my family and friends behind. And uh, as a sophomore in high school, it was kind of hard to do, but uh, you know, I, I think uh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> Hey guys, I don't want to leave, but like I'm going to play for the U S development team. Like, yeah. So see uh, sorry, but I'll see you. Yeah. Hard, hard to leave, but uh had really good uh, experience there. Right. I mean, how critical was that move out there? And going to that U.S. development program, I mean, I'm sure there were some big-name coaches and trainers out there in the program. I mean, was there one coach that you just kind of looked at him and was like, holy shit, this guy, this USA hockey legend is one of my coaches or trainers? Yeah, honestly, all of them. Uh, the first day you get there, everyone, like, like you've heard of them before. Uh, you know, Dan Cole was my coach first year, really intense guy. He's coaching at Michigan State now. And, uh, you know, first couple months, I was just walking on eggshells uh, when I was there, <laughs> super nervous. But, uh, you know, everyone there uh, was great and uh, has a lot of history working with hockey. Um, so that was really good. Was that out in uh, Michigan or Colorado? It was in Michigan. Michigan. They just moved. Uh, they were in Ann Arbor, and then they just moved to Plymouth the year before I got there. There you go. So you play on a development team for what, two years and that's in the USHL, but then you yep. get to the U18 and world junior championship. So I kind of want to dive into that. That's a bit of a fun tournament, fun ride, but a couple guys on that roster with you, you know, Matthias Samuelson, Cole Caulfield, Jack Hughes, Jack DeBoer. I mean, listeners ever heard of them? I mean, what's it like playing on the same team as those guys? Yeah. I mean, uh, Matthias was our captain uh, and I kind of played against him growing up. He was with the junior flyers and I was with team Maryland um and then yeah you know jack hughes cole caulfield like play against some of them in college now uh 
and you know you're just learning things uh you know they're learning from you you're learning from them uh and in practice you're just competing against them getting better uh and that's kind of what they're all about uh you know there's never going to be a soft drill where you're going against someone that's not quite as good uh everyone's bringing it and everyone's you know, pretty good I mean, what was that overall experience like? I mean, those tournaments usually last two to three weeks. That one was in Russia at the time. You guys, I mean, take us from the start of the preliminary round up to, you know, beating the host Russia, Russians in the quarters, then the checks, and then eventually, unfortunately, losing in that semi, I mean, that gold medal game. But uh, yeah, just kind of um, take us through that tournament. The, yeah, the just being, being in Russia uh, was a, a crazy experience. We were in Magnitogorsk and Chelyabinsk, which you've never even heard of. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't tell you. Yeah. <laughs> so uh it definitely interesting just getting used to living there so we we got there like two weeks before we were starting um just get acclimated to everything and then i uh and then yeah we had russia in the quarterfinals and they obviously brought everyone they could and just bring the country the hell with it (laughs) and it was just uh that game was insane just they were so loud you couldn't hear anything uh we ended up squeaking it out um and so we were all fired up and then uh, we went on to win the semis. And then in the finals, uh, we got the news Canada lost and they were kind of in our eyes, the team to beat. Uh, and so did we they have any big name guys in that team like you guys did. Um, yeah. Ryan Merkley. Um, I don't know. You go through the list. They're all big name guys. Yeah. My current roommate, uh, Jack McBain was on the team. Um, so we got some beef about that, but uh Anyways, they lose. We don't end up playing them. We play Finland. Uh, and then, yeah, Nailbiter um, just come up close against them. But uh, I mean, were you guys able to, like – I mean, I'm sure, like, you're hockey, hockey, hockey that whole time. But And like you said, I couldn't even tell you what the hell you just said, where in Russia you were, but were you able to go out and, like, do anything outside of the rink or, <laughs> like, is there anything uh, to do there? Honestly, no. Like, we're on uh, – the schedules we were on were, were practice in the morning, you know, get a meal in, nap, and then uh, and then it's game time, and then you're just recovering after that. Uh, I remember the first week we were there, we didn't really have anything going on, but there's nothing to do outside of the hotel. So a couple guys brought putters and some balls, and we made a little mini golf course in the hotel, which, which everyone else loved. <laughs> so so was, that your, was that your last time probably, I think, putting on the Team USA jersey? Yeah. Or do you play anymore after that? Oh, nice. no, uh, yeah, I think that game was the last one. Gotcha. So did anybody, I guess, while you were out there in Michigan, I don't know if you spent any time in Colorado either training, but is there any guys that can't kind of came in, any current NHL guys that were coming in and getting some work in that you had a chance to maybe see or talk to or anything like that? Um, yeah, uh, a bunch of Michigan guys, just local, like Dylan Larkin um, was always around, uh, Andrew Kopp, like um, – I'm trying to think of just Michigan talent that was there. Austin, Austin Matthews came in uh, for a day. Um, and then a couple of Red Wings players would be in and out. Um, so it's always good to kind of watch their practices and pick up on skills they're doing. Yeah, for sure. So obviously now Boston College, but kind of similar to that landing question earlier, I'm sure there were a ton of schools hitting you up. I mean, what are some of the schools that didn't make the cut? I mean, who are some of the schools that were trying to get you to come and recruit you? Um, yeah, it was kind of – I kind of made my decision to BC um, pretty early on. Uh, my mom went to BC, uh, and I've always, you know, I've always loved it. Um, so I didn't get too deep into conversations with other schools. But, uh, you know, meeting meeting Coach Jerry York for the first time, obviously a legend, uh, 
was made the decision easier and then just the campus uh, and everything about Boston. Um, oh, so you're kind of always set on BC. Not, not a hundred percent, but, uh, it was always was kind of, kind of leaning, right there. Yeah, I was leaning towards it and then everything, uh, you know, I found out about it. I liked, so definitely made this. Right. I mean, was there like one exact main selling point, like a specific conversation with a coach or maybe walking in and seeing the locker room or maybe one, they got one of the BC puck bunnies running around on golf carts, taking <laughs> you around campus. I mean, um, it was kind of all the things added up, but, uh, the biggest thing would definitely just be, you know, that conversation with coach York, uh, mm-hmm. all the guys that he's developed and all the things he's done, you know, being in the hall of fame now, um, just sitting down and having a conversation with him, you know, the, the great person he is, uh, helped me out. So if BC was out of the question, what would have been the, uh, the next best choice for you? Oh, that's, that's too tough. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know. I can't say a hockey school because now those are. Uh, those yeah, are yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. Michigan was in the looks for a while. Um, they would probably be the number two. But uh, again, yeah, didn't get too deep in uh, conversations with anyone else. Right. So freshman year, first college goal, Beanpot, right? Against Harvard? Yeah, it took me long enough. Waited yeah, I was about to say that's a little late in the year, but <laughs> a little late in the year. But you are a freshman. I mean, take us through that. How did how did it unfold? What did that what was that moment like? I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, scoring in the bean pot, uh, especially you know when it's your first and and it's you know already February. Uh, you know, getting the monkey off the back was huge, and doing it um, on that stage uh, was definitely something I'll always remember. Uh, I remember I got the pass from Graham McPhee, who's another. DMV guy kind of grew up playing with and against, uh, and then, uh, yeah, he dropped it back to me and then I had the whole lane open. There you go. And then this passing too, it's another bean pot goal versus BU. I mean, what is it about the bean pot where you just kind of pop off? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that seems to be when I do most of my scoring. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I just, uh, everyone gets excited for those games, you know, uh, Barstool BC, Barstool BU are going at it. Uh, you know, ever, ever the whole city's you know getting behind it, and and the, the fans are wild. Uh, so you know that I think that one was one of my first shifts. So kind of getting the nerves out and getting a goal early was big. Yeah, I mean, and going back to again the land and atmosphere in the MAPO, MAPHL championship games. I mean, the bean pot's got to be on another level on its own too. Yeah, again, like so different when uh you know with those maple games, like you know you know you can look and know who's in the stands, and then. Beanpot, it's uh, an assortment of students from huge schools and, and parents. But, uh, yeah, definitely similar. Sure. So, let's – staying on last season, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was like, what, 24 games missed due to injury? Yeah, I, I, stopped, I stopped counting. Yeah. One, but, uh, I, I mean, how do you kind of keep yourself mentally right and avoid getting down kind of that rabbit hole where you see a lot of athletes, I mean, when they get injured, it's like they get that mental block and it's tough to overcome it. I mean, I don't know what the injury is. You could – say it if you want i don't know if it's just i mean you, you know hockey it's either upper body or lower body there's no yeah. in between or specific well, it was, uh, yeah so it was two it was two upper body um to start like one of the practices leading into the first game uh put me out for for 10 games uh and then i i played nine more i think and then i uh, got injured again but uh i guess a lot of the reason i you know stand so positive and stand so when there was just our team success uh, we were doing so well, and uh, I was always happy to go to the rink. Um, and everyone was always positive, like worried about our next game, getting another win. Um, and so I knew I had to do my part in doing my physical therapy 
uh, and just talking to the guys and making sure they're good. Um, so that was kind of my role this year. Yeah, I feel like with a lot of that, I mean, you can say for yourself, but I mean, a lot of it's more of the the mental grind than it is the physical grind and getting yeah, yourself back. Sure. Yeah, especially that second injury. Like, you know, you're excited to get back, and then all of a sudden another, you know, another surgery to put you out for the rest mm-hmm. of the year. So. so you, kind of thinking back at it, you kind of went to college pretty early. I mean, was it, what, you, would you have, did you go to BC on time as if you were like, say i'll just say like a normal kid graduating high school and going straight to college or was yeah, it so, just, yeah i'm in the same grade as all my you know landon buddies um i didn't have to repeat or anything yeah so why i mean I, obviously because he went to the u.s development route but was there the option to go play juniors after u.s development and then go to college uh yeah but you just want to go straight to college everyone kind of has that option i kind of just wanted to go straight in and uh bc said said they wanted me to come in so uh no no extra juniors Sure. So getting named assistant captain going into the next season, I mean, what, what does that mean for you? I mean, junior on the team. Uh, yeah, I mean, big honor, um, especially with BC, uh, all the guys that have won a letter there. But, uh, you know, letter, no letter, it doesn't change anything about how I need to show up and how our whole team's going to show up um, to win that national championship next year. Sure. So kind of going back to one of the Beanpot schools, a good buddy of ours, reoccurring guest. I don't know if you know him, Wilmer Skoog over at BU. Yeah. Uh, so we now officially got chirping guys at BU and BC with you and him. I'm thinking we need to get a little rivalry going. Maybe you say <laughs> some shit about him and we can get a little headline grab, blow it out of proportion, and then get him back on the rebuttal. And then both yeah, of you want to that, battle that, it out. That would, that would go over well. <laughs> Are you, you familiar with him at all? Talk to him much? Yeah. Or? Yeah, so I actually am skating. Uh, he played with the Black Bears, yeah. I believe. Uh, and so I'm skating out of their rink and, uh, and with their coach now. So I kind of talked about him a little bit. But um, I just first remember, I think he scored the Michigan in one of his first first games. And I yeah, was like, first, it's like first game scored the Michigan goal, second game <laughs> scored an overtime winner. It's like, shit, yeah. dude. Like, Yeah, he was on the Maryland Black Bears right before that. So, yeah. so you got the chance to skate at the Caps development camp. I mean, you're from the area – grew up a Caps fan I'm assuming everybody does here I mean you officially get to toss the Caps practice jersey on I mean what's that like and who are some of the guys you got to skate with uh yeah really cool getting to do that um you know my I it was cool I got to have my friends and and parents come out and watch me uh you know as I put on that that jersey um trying to remember the guys that they were with um it was not a uh the only current player that was there uh Siegenthaler was there um okay and you know he's a beast so he was uh he was really good at that camp and then yeah a bunch of Hershey guys um and East Coast guys and then guys that were just drafted so um really good mix uh, of competition gotcha so a couple quick ones to end it on uh if you had to think of the biggest game or one game that you'd go back and replay whether it was a loss that you'd like to try to go back get the win or kind of a massive win that you had uh, any time in your career, maybe squirts or, like we said, B- BC, anything like that. What's one game you think you'd go back to? Uh, it's a special thing playing with your brother. So playing uh, that Maple Championship game against Gonzaga with my older brother was uh, really special. And then most fun team you've ever been on? And you probably get in trouble if you don't say your current team. So <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to say my current team uh, <laughs> for sure. There's uh, so much, like, different characters that bring a lot of lot of good energy um making the locker room fun every day sure so you've obviously accomplished a lot two years left at bc i mean what are your goals to finish out your career there and then beyond yeah i mean uh got got 
our season got cut short this year. Um, you know, we were hoping to win a natty this year, but yeah, I guess speaking of that real quick, I mean, what stage of the season were you guys in where you did get cut off? It was literally going into our first playoff game. Providence was on their way to us. Uh, and then, you know, that got, they got canceled right then and there. And, uh, all of a sudden we're gearing up for a playoff game and then the season's done. Um, so we had a great regular season and uh, hopefully we carry it over. Yeah. I mean, obviously probably winning the bean pot's got to be on that list. Yeah. Or keeping the trend going and scoring in all four bean pots you ever play in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, we definitely want to keep both of those going. Um, we came close, you know, the overtime loss to BU was tough and then losing the finals to Northeastern. Um, so hopefully, you know, next two years uh, we can take it home. So outside of, um, outside of your home rink there at BC, what's the most fun rink you guys play at to you? Like for BC? Out, yeah, for BC. So outside of your own home rink, what's the, what's the best uh, road game you, you enjoy going on the most? Um, I love Notre Dame's. I love Notre Dame's rink and kind of the rivalry we have with them. Uh, they always get their band, their band there, and, and kind of pack that house. Uh, and it's a really cool rink. So I like those games. There it is. Love it. So Patty Giles, we appreciate you coming on, man. Uh, it's been great. It's been good talking to you. We'll probably see you around the rink sometime here soon. But like I said, we'll be up at First Line Training Center. And uh, yeah, so you have to come on anytime we ask. And if you go pro, you have to give us tickets now. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. All right, my man. Have a good one. You too. All right, thanks again for Pat Giles for hopping on. Uh, great interview. Good time talking to him. We're definitely going to meet up with him at First Line Training Center sometime here soon. Maybe we'll get him involved in our competition video, but then he'll just blow the fucking wheels off of us if we try to do that. So we'll see. Uh, AB, Seattle, they have an arena. The naming rights were bought by Amazon and has officially been named Climate Pledge Arena. It is apparently carbon neutral and produces zero carbon, so there's apparently no trash cans, and it's the greenest ice in the world because it'll be made from rainwater by refrigerants with zero greenhouse gas emissions. Any, any thoughts on that? Way to go, greenest team on earth, I guess. I don't, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know anything about that shit. Yeah, I mean, neither. I mean, the rumors are that the vegan chai lattes and plant-based smoothies will only be $18 each, but... I can see it being a good time there in Seattle. <laughs> I mean, to, to be fair, the I, renderings of the arena, they do look pretty cool. It looks like it's going to be a pretty sick arena. So they're, they're building it? They, they didn't buy like an already used one or, or an already made arena? Is that what's happening? Yeah, I believe they're just building it, building it from scratch. I don't know if they like tore down where the um, Seattle Supersonics used to play or whatever. I don't know what that arena was called. I'm not familiar with Seattle. I don't know if they just like tore that building down and using the same lot of land or if they're just building it somewhere completely else. But yeah, they've got the artist renderings up. It looks like a pretty sick place, but yeah, I mean, they're just all over this greenhouse and carbon neutral and save the planet arena type thing. I don't know how it's going to work with people oh, yeah. coming in and out, but yeah, I was going to say it makes the NHL look good. So fuck it. <laughs> yeah. And I guess would probably help them get an NBA team back there if they wanted. I, I don't know how any of that works, but yeah, so there it is. Seattle <laughs> arena has now got a new name. Nice, nice. We're here for it. I'm just, I'm just ready for that expansion draft, honestly. I'm not, because, I mean, Tark. <laughs> I read Tark's article the other day about the expansion draft, and he was talking about who the Caps are going to lose, and pretty much every scenario seems like it's going to be TJ Oshie. Fuck. <laughs> right? Fuck. I mean, at that point, he's, he's still going to be on that $5.75 million contract. It's going to be next year. Obviously, he's very productive. He's like the heartbeat of this team. 
I can see where he's coming from. I can see where Tark's coming from, obviously, because he's getting older. Can he keep, he'll be 34 years old at the time. Like I said, 5.75 million, four time 25 goal scored. Do we think he can keep that up? I hope so, but I don't know. I guess we'll have to see. Um, oh, she's from Washington too, Everett Washington, uh, big Seahawks fan. So that he could fit, as Tark said, as Seattle's first ever captain. Yeah, probably. Um, but I didn't. I didn't even know that. I didn't. I didn't read that article at all. But I mean, it sounds accurate. I mean, Tark knows. Obviously, knows his shit. And yeah. So this one. I, I mean, I'm that. wondering if. I'm wondering if McClellan can pull something off and, like, offer a tra- offer some type to some type of trade to protect him, kind of like how other teams did with the Vegas draft. Right. Um, because they just made basically will give them like a first round pick and like a prospect to not take Oshi. Yeah, something, something like, that. like that. Yeah, that'd be tight. I mean, option one, Tark here has eight skaters, one goalie. He's got Ovi, Kuzi, Backy, Willie, Eller, Vrana, Carlson, Siegenthaler, and Samsonov. So he's got Siegenthaler over Orlov because Siegenthaler at the time would be 23 over Orlov, 28. A lot of youth, a lot of upside. We don't know about how Orlov's going to continue to play. Hagman's going to be free. Richard Panik's going to be free. I'd be happy if they, I guess, I don't know, took anybody but Oshir, really. Kempney's going to be free. Ginny, Hathaway, Dowd. Uh, I mean, obviously, you got Holpe, Dilly, Kolbachuk, and Gudis as unrestricted free agents. Option two, seven forwards, three defensemen, one goalie. He's got Ovi, Kuzi, Backy, Willie, Vrana, Eller, Panik, Carlson, Siegs, Orlov, and Samsonov. Um, because the caps are forward heavy, like Tark says. So you want to protect. I mean, you want to protect Wilson. You want to protect Vrana. I feel like Lars Eller is a lifetime cap now. He's just always going to be our third line center, no matter what happens. Yeah, you would protect. I mean, how old is he? How old is Lars Eller? Do we know? Um, he's not young, not old. I don't think. Let's see here. I was, Lars. I, was say, like, I, I just feel like there's so many names there. He's 31. So. 32 next year getting up oh, there yeah i mean i don't know we're on the wrong side of 30 right now the, the whole entire, team is yeah, the, <laughs> the whole franchise is we're yeah. five years from a complete fucking overhaul and it's just gonna be like all right tom wilson's our captain ron is our assistant captain don't know anybody on the third or fourth line <laughs> like we're gonna yeah, see that's, that's gonna kind of suck but <laughs> so. i don't know i mean I, there's a lot of – I don't know why they wouldn't protect Oshie. Like, is his contract coming up, I guess? I guess that makes sense. No, I mean – he just signed him. Yeah, he's on his contract through – let's see. Like I said, 5.75. Four seasons remaining on it still. Not a lot, yeah, but enough. I don't know. I I mean, I I would protect him, but I guess if we – yeah, it's, I guess it depends on the cap room and cap space. Yeah, I guess we never know. So let's get to the Hockey Hall of Fame 2020 class. we got two more things before we get to the Sandra interview. So let's start here. We'll just run down the list. I'll read some stats out. Give me your thoughts on them. Jerome McGinley, 15 seasons with the Flames, two gold medals, two-time Rocket Richard winner, 1,300 career points, 1,554 NHL games. Kind of a no-brainer there. What are your thoughts on Jerome McGinley? Yeah, he was the first ballot Hall of Famer. He was an immediate yes on in everyone's eyes, I think. Um, I saw, like – I someone posted a picture of like who gets in and there was like eight guys mm-hmm. and someone was just like 
literally all of these guys can get in. And I was like, I kind of agree. Like Peter Bondra was in the picture too and shit like that. I mean, I know they can only take four, but literally every single name they listed off, I was like, yeah, there could be a lot of people. These could all be, thing. yeah, these could all be uh, oh. entered. So Marion Hosa, next one, three-time Stanley Cup champion with the Hawks, 1,309 career games, 525 goals, 609 assists. I mean, I think that's an obvious one too. Marion Hosa, an absolute legend. Yeah, first another first ballot, I think. Yep, I believe I think, so. Yeah. Um, some people were saying they didn't think he was, should have been, and I was just like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" Marion Hosa was like, like a top five to top Crucial. ten player in this in the league for probably like five or six years yeah. in the early two thousand, and absolutely critical with those three Hawks Stanley Cup runs. Yeah, I mean, he so. went to the Stanley Cup Finals five times. <laughs> like, if you think it's not it. like he wasn't showing up. Yeah, like he was. He played. He played for Pittsburgh, um, and then they lost to Detroit in the finals. And then he played mm-hmm. for Detroit, and then they lost to Pittsburgh in the finals. So it was that's right. First, everyone, everyone was like, "Oh shit, Hosa's got a curse on him." <laughs> and then he, and then he went to Chicago, and then wins three. Like he's been in the Stanley Cup five times. You're going to tell me he's not a Hall of Famer? Yeah, and obviously we just read the stats. And he played a such a long career, like we said, 1,300 goals. Next up, Kevin Lowe, five-time Stanley Cup champs with the Oilers. One cup with the Rangers. Played throughout the 80s and into the mid-90s. I don't know how much you watched of him, but a solid player. I've seen some highlights here and there. I've heard people talk about him. So, yeah, very deserving. Yeah, I used to have this, uh, like, Gretzky, like, biography or documentary or something. And um, Kevin Lowe was on it. And he, I guess he has one record that uh, – Gretzky can never break, and it's scoring the first ever Edmonton Oilers goal in the NHL. All right, then. Yeah, yeah very deserving of the Hall of Fame just off that, I feel like. Legend. <laughs> uh, next, we got Doug Wilson, 14th season with the Hawks, led the defenseman, led the team defenseman, sorry, in scoring for 10 straight years, over 1,000 NHL games, and obviously is now the current GM of the San Jose Sharks. Yep, very deserving. Again, um, I, I thought he was a different person at first. I was thinking of – um, what was – you're talking about Doug Wilson, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was thinking of – I was completely thinking of Ron Wilson. Oh, really? For the, I see yeah, that, yeah. I was like, didn't he – that was like, didn't he coach the Caps too? And then I was like, oh, that's a different Wilson. Never mind. Different but, Wilson. yeah, Doug Wilson. Dougie Wilson, yeah, everyone. He's, uh, again, an older player, older than our generation, but definitely saw seen some highlights um, and pretty huge for the game at that point. Yep, next up, we got two more. Kim St. Pierre, arguably one of the greatest Canadian female goalies of all time. Three Olympic gold medals, five World Championship gold medals, career stats of 1.77 goals against average and a .939 save percentage. And, yeah, I mean, being the starting goalie for basically a dynasty, yeah, you yeah. probably deserve it. Yeah, being the starting goalie for Canada for like 15 years and just winning everything and you possibly can win, then there you go, you're in. Uh, lastly, yeah. Ken Holland, post-playing career, Became a scout for Detroit before becoming their assistant GM while at the same time acting as a GM for their AHL team. Later named the Wings GM in 97, won three cups in his tenure, and won more regular season and playoff games combined than any other franchise in that time span with 1,044 wins. Was he the president too, or was he just a GM? I do not know. I Might couldn't have been the president too. As I say, I couldn't think – I couldn't remember the other day uh, if he was the one that had actually – like not fired, but – stepped away so that Eiserman could step in because I think I think Eiserman is president and GM I'm not so yeah so I think that's not right though 
I'd say maybe Ken Holland was also the same thing. Uh, I'm not 100% sure on that. But, yeah, uh, Ken Holland, uh, pretty much the architect of probably the best dynasty in NHL history, maybe. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that Detroit run that they had for however many years was just unreal. They were just like, always in the conference finals, always in the cup. It felt like there's always there. Beat the Caps in that 10-year. I mean, 25 straight years of making the playoffs. I mean, are you kidding me? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's insane or something like that. It's, it's in the 20s at least. I can't, I can't remember how many it is. It might be 22 or 23. Yeah, I want to say it's be like 22 or 23, and then it ended um, obviously a couple years yeah. ago once Detroit started to go downhill. So – Last thing we have here before we get to the Sandra interview to end the episode, it's Todd Reardon. He has an interview on NHL Network, so I pulled a couple of the key quotes and answers out that I thought were kind of interesting. First one, kind of non-hockey related. I mean, his son Travis, he's got the immune deficiency. Apparently, he gets like plasma injected once a month to help build up that bloodstream to help fight diseases. Todd mentioned Travis, his son, actually offered to take a break from it during this pandemic to allow other people the opportunity to receive the treatment that may be in worse condition or higher need of it than he is. So I thought that was awesome. But getting into some hockey, uh, he kind of mentioned that no team has been through anything like this. So the team uh, that will be most successful is the one that can adjust and conquer the circumstances, i.e., you know, no fans, a hub city. Uh, talked about how the Caps and his team, they got a very good veteran core. They've been through a lot together. Uh, hasn't always really been smooth sailing here in D.C., even though as much as people from the outside might look in and be like, well, they're always the best team that does this, this, and this. But we do, we do go through a lot of shit here. Um, and clearly he even mentioned the end of this season. He talked about how bad we were at the end of the season. So he thinks if we can get going in this round robin, we can make a deep run. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think we've all said pretty much the same thing. I mean, everyone, like the whole team needed a reset and we got it and what aren't the best of circumstances, but we got the reset that we needed. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I agree with everything you said there. I mean, no team has gone through this, so. It will be interesting to see what types, what teams do adjust well, what other right. teams don't. Um, which kind of makes me think teams like the Caps, teams like Pittsburgh, and teams like Boston will adjust well. Yeah. The teams that might not are the younger teams that yeah. don't have that great leadership. Yeah, I haven't been think. through a lot together as a core. Um, like I said, us being an old team, we, we bring it up all the time, but the, the rest has obviously got to help us. We've been through a lot of shit together. So I do think a te- the teams that get that prepare the most will also do well, um, like the Islanders. I mean, Barry Trotz is pe- preparation on preparation. So, yeah, um, that's I think that's a huge part of it. I just – I don't know. And we keep always – like we can say whatever we want right now, but it, it's always going to come back down – come back to – who the fuck knows what's going to happen because no one's ever done this before. Yeah, so we'll see. Um, another thing he said is the most crucial members of the team have been the training staff, all quarantined, who have been communicating with the players, every player, multiple times a day. Obviously, there's different challenges with players based throughout the world and where they're located and how accessible gyms and rinks and all that type of shit are. So he said the training staff's been crucial, and he said that they're probably been the most uh, helpful guys throughout all this, keeping the guys working hard and on a good routine. That's good. I get, yeah, their, their job went from, well, they're kind of on the job 24 seven at this point. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. as a trainer for an, an NHL team. So I bet their job even got harder after this, just trying to communicate with everyone and not actually being able to be with them. Um, 
because you can't really yeah they can't really go to their house and train to see if they're performing the right way or like because when you're training it's more about form than anything mm-hmm. and you got to have you kind of have to have your trainer to tell you whether your form if your form is good or bad yeah for sure and make sure everybody's kind of on the same type of routine um, so last thing he mentioned here which was kind of interesting i didn't really think about this but um talked about how this kind of brings back a childhood memory tournaments type style out i mean where you go to these youth tournaments and play at the same rink you see the same teams all the time and even todd in this interview he said possibly there's going to be two games in a day which would be wild to see so he said it's important for guys to stay on their toes adapt if there's a two-game day because he's like if when you're a kid in a tournament if we get two games a day in and the team before us goes to overtime we're sitting around waiting for the ice to clear and then boom we're, we're on and ready to go so kind of take every situation and challenge that they face in stride yeah i mean i didn't i never actually thought about it that way but that is kind of tight i mean tournaments were the best honestly yeah. Turn, oh yeah tournaments are awesome just like seeing like everyone like just seeing other teams just running around the rink and shit and it's kind of just it's it's like a hectic atmosphere but also kind of under control at the same time and it's just i don't know i don't know it's just like everyone's like on the move and it's just it's just a lot of fun atmosphere and it's this is pretty much a tournament just like exactly like that it feels yes. like like a, almost like a world cup tournament or something yeah like i said i hadn't even thought about that then when he mentions like yeah kind of brings back some childhood memories going to the rink and hanging around all day so that's all we got for todd's uh press conference ab that's all i have besides bleacher report just hit my phone and said 26 nhl players have covid um so that's not nice that's <laughs> not good. So that's we'll. Nice. I guess we're just still going to see. But like I said, that's all I got. Looking forward to this weekend. I'm sure we'll have some stories on next week's episode from 4th of July. Oh, yeah, brother. All right, let's do it then. So we'll toss it over. We'll end the episode here with Sandra. All right, we now welcome on an awesome guest. She's the in-arena host for the Washington Capitals, Sandra Dragoneu. Nice to know you, Dragoneu, as you just told me. Sandra, welcome <laughs> to the show. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me on. I'm pleased to be here. Perfect. So you just wrapped up your first year with the Caps, I believe. I mean, you've been around the rink kind of your whole life, been in the DMV here for a couple of years. So what we kind of like to do with some of the players and stuff we talk to is just kind of start from the beginning. So, you know, when did you get into the hosting profession and what was the first team you ever worked for? Uh, yeah. So I, like you said, I've been around rinks my whole life. Um, I was a competitive figure skater uh, for over a decade. And then I skated professionally for Disney on Ice and toured the world. And so I'm originally from Cleveland, Ohio. So when I was done with my professional skating career i went back to cleveland and we have an ahl team in cleveland the monsters Monsters, Um, at the time they were the lake erie monsters now we're the cleveland monsters and um, so that was my first hosting gig and i had not ever worked in sports broadcasting or anything like that before my my experience was that i was one of our head pr uh girls on disney so you know we had a bunch of different pr things we had to do and i just kind of got into the interviewing world of of PR work so you know I I get back to Cleveland and I have a mutual friend that works for the Cavaliers organization um, because much like how monumental sports and entertainment um, as an umbrella and owns multiple teams so does Dan Gilbert and uh, he owns the Cavs as well as the Monsters and at the time when the AFL was still happening uh, we had the Gladiators as well Um, and so I went in and auditioned and got a a call back and I started hosting for the Monsters and it was uh, it was incredible right from the start. I loved it. I just felt so at home uh, in the rink. And, you know, the hockey fans are just, you know, they're just next level. They're awesome. And uh, and I started hosting for 
the Gladiators a couple years after that. And uh, like you said, we came to the DMV back in, in 2016. And I actually worked for Monumental hosting for the Washington Valor, which was our AFL team, and for the WNBA Mystics. And uh, then I got into the Caps. Uh, this, like you said, is my first season. And what an interesting first season it has been. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been a wild one. So we'll kind of take it step by step there of everything you just mentioned. So you're a rink rat. Much like everybody that listens to this show, all of us hockey players here. So kind of talk about, you know, growing up being a figure skater. I mean, from what I've read, you spent you spend 25, 30 hours a week at the rink and trained under an Olympic champion. I mean, just talk about all that. I, I did. Um, yeah, you know, I, I got started in the sport late. Uh, my parents are Romanian immigrants, and in Romania, soccer is huge, as is gymnastics. So, you know, I didn't find my way into a rink till um till late which when you tell people who are not rink rats that like 10 or 11 is late they kind of look at you like uh-huh. how could 10 years old be late for something you know but you got like the three-year-olds and the four-year-olds that are running around the rink so I got started late but um as you mentioned I was fortunate enough to have um pretty incredible coaches and so they were honest with me and said hey you got some catching up to do but if you're willing to put in the work you know we'll get you there so I spent right. a lot of time in the rink I had an adjusted school schedule. So I had all of my, you know, core classes first thing in the morning and my dad would pick me up on his lunch break and drive me to the rink. And I would spend the rest of my afternoon at the rink until my mom picked me up after work on her way home. And, uh, you know, every weekend was a competition. So a lot of travel and uh, early mornings in the gym working out to do the off-ice conditioning. So, you know, it was my life really from the time that I was 11 till, till I, skated all the way through college and then I competed and it's still my life obviously in a yeah. in a different capacity because I, I coach now um and I work with kids of all ages and you know I work with mostly figure skaters but I work with um quite a few hockey players as well on you know I don't do anything in the game of hockey I work strictly on their skating skills and that's the, and that's sure the interesting they, part about it too because you start to see that a lot of hockey players kind of get into some figure skating yep. just to work on some real hard I guess edge work and I mean what kind of stuff are you teaching hockey players that come into your program and train on you? So, you know, when I was in Cleveland, I did a lot of work um, with kids anywhere from, I mean, I usually get the kids most typically when they're at the squirt level, because this is where they start, you know, now they're getting put in a defense and they're like, Oh, I have to skate backwards now. And that's a little bit of an issue, you know, right. <laughs> or like right. they start taking it more seriously. And, you know, from my conversation with, with coaches, you know, they've got limited ice time. So the time that they have, is spent on the game of hockey and teaching the kids the IQ of the game. Um, so they don't have a lot of time to just talk about, you know, well, how does your blade work? Like, what part of the blade are you on when you skate forward? What about backwards? Mm-hmm. You know, like, how does your body work in relation to starting and stopping, to turning? So those are the basics that you have, you know, the figure skating coaches or the power skating coaches that come in, and that's what we work with the players on. And obviously it's specific to each player because I get a feel from the parents and from the coaches what their strengths and weaknesses are and, um, you know, and what we're trying to improve and why we're trying to improve it, you know, but that's pretty much what I work. There's a lot of starting and stopping drills. We talk about crossovers um, and I get a lot of, you know, the, oh my God, I can't believe we're doing crossovers again, you know, <laughs> but, you know, I try to explain yeah. to the kids that you have to trust your feet on the ice, you know, like you do on the ground. You don't really think about walking. You can't be thinking about, you know, well, how do I cross my feet? And what if I want to turn? I said, because by the time you do that, the puck is gone. You've got to be thinking one step ahead of where that puck is going to be. Right. And you have to be able to trust your feet to get you there and think about what you're going to do with the puck when you get it. You can't, you can't expect your brain to do it all at once. So that's really the job of, of the power skating coaches and the figure skating coaches is to, to take that off their plate. They can trust their feet to get them where they need to be and, and keep them steady. So. so have you ever tried playing any hockey yourself? 
You know, I, I have. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, I so, figured you had to at least try uh, yeah, once I, as much I, skating as you're doing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. I actually had a running joke with my, uh, with my coach at Cleveland. I said, I think I was probably 16 at the time. And I said, you know, I feel like a lot of the aggression in this rink would go away if you just let all of us put on <laughs> hockey pads every Friday and just slam each other to the boards. And then there'd be no cattiness. Like, we would all just have – it would be all laid out on the line. It would be so much better. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, I – you know, growing up in the rink, I had a lot of friends that, that were hockey players. And, you know, so of course you're like, well, let me, you know, let me try. And I had them, you know, kind of teach me some stick handling drills. And, uh, and, you know, we had a couple, you know, just pick up games for fun and I've got my hockey skates and it's, it's always a fun 15 minutes when I switch from my figure skates to my hockey skates and then back into my figure skates. Cause that whole, that whole topic scene is totally true where, right, where right. you don't remember that it's not there and you lean forward and fall because it's no longer there <laughs> or you put your figure skates back on and then you find that topic a little bit more abruptly than you meant to. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's always fun. And when we were on tour for Disney, actually, a lot of our crew guys used to play hockey. And so we would have, you know, loadout days where the show was done, but the ice would still be standing. So before we, we left, we would all kind of just, all right, let's, let's play some hockey, you know, and the crew guys would always organize it. And some of us would jump in and play. So uh, it's a, uh, it's a game I hold near and dear to my heart. <laughs> right. Right. So you mentioned the valor and the mystics. So you've been a part of the, the monumental and uncle Teddy Leonis's family for a while now. So what was the biggest uh, difference or similarities between working for both the WNBA team and then uh, the arena football league team? Um, you know, it's, it, we're very fortunate in, D, in DC to have just really true diehard fans. I mean, and you mm -hmm. see that with, you know, I, just getting to know the Caps fans and they know so much about the history of the team and all the individual players. And I saw that a lot with the Mystics fans too. I mean, you have season ticket holders that have been there since the beginning of the Mystics, you know, and they, they have been there through it all. And, you know, like they, they take the wins and losses personally, you know, and they, and they know the players and they know what's going on in their lives and, um, so it's just pretty amazing to see, you know, how big a part, you know, the, the team has in their lives. It's like this genuine caring. It's not just like, well, it's something to like take my mind off of my life and I'm coming to a game. I mean, they're like personally invested in these games. And I think that you can feel that in the arena in a game. I mean, it's just the energy is, is palpable when you're at these games. Um, and, you know, with the Valor, it's that whole environment is just meant to be like, how loud can we get? How rowdy can we get? You know, and, and the fans definitely did not disappoint in that as well. And, and again, that, you know, they, they get into the game and they get to know the personalities. And, um, you know, my, my last season of hosting for the Valor, uh, I was pregnant and I was towards the end of my pregnancy as right. we were getting, you know, into the, into the end of the, of the season. And it was just so nice because you would see fans that would like come up to me and be like, yeah, the game was great. But like, how are you? Like, how's the, you know, right. how's the baby? How's the pregnancy going? And, you know, you just, you get to feel like family with these fans. And it's, it's such a, such a unique thing from, you know, the, the perspective of a host. There's not a lot of jobs where you're like, yeah, there's 20,000 people and they're like family. Cause they like right, know me right. and they want to know about my life and, and I get to know about them and what's going on in their life. And, and I think social media has made that, um, you know, more personal because you do get to see these people, you know, through social media and, and you know more about their lives and, you know, they know more about your life depending on how much you're willing to, you know, put out on, on the social media channel. So it's, it's really unique to have that connection with the fans. Right. So when you started with Monumental, are the Caps kind of a team you always had your eye on in terms of like, hey, I want to get there and in arena host for them? Because like you mentioned, like, it's awesome with the Mystics and the Valor. But I mean, looking at it, the NHL is just above and beyond uh, in terms of like a top four sport. 
and it's a Stanley Cup winning team. You got superstar talent everywhere. I mean, like I asked, is, is this the job you've had your eye on? And then what was it like when you finally got awarded that opportunity? Um, you know, I, I said uh, previously when someone had asked me, I said, you know, it just hockey feels like home to me. You know, I started yeah. my hosting career in hockey and, and I grew up in a rink, you know, so I just feel um, so at home in a hockey environment and around hockey players and hockey fans. And, and like you mentioned, I mean, it's, it's such a huge sport. We have such a great fan base here. Um, and, and of course it's such an opportunity that is, you know, there's, there's not very many opportunities like it, you know, like how many professional sports teams are there and how many hosting positions are there? So I was, you know, I was really honored that I was able to do it and to take the reins on as a host, you know, after they have won a Stanley cup, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's a little pressure there too. I was like, Oh man, like y'all, you know, don't blow this. <laughs> don't, don't be lame. I'm like, don't be, don't be done. Um, you know, so it was, it was just such an honor and I was so excited and you know, I got to host. Um, a couple games uh, the previous season, last season, because right. there was just a, a, a scheduling situation and, and uh, you know, someone had reached out to me from the Caps knowing that I hosted for the Mystics and for, um, for the Valor and said, would you be interested in hosting? I said, yeah, absolutely. I would, I would love to. And, you know, I had such a ball. And, it, you know, I think having hosted those two games, it, you know, I got, kind of got a taste of it feeling real, you know, like being back in the hockey arena and, and, you know, like, and just even from a hosting standpoint, like the timeout structure, obviously, and the media timeouts are different in a hockey game than they are in a basketball game or in a football game. So like, just even the flow of how the night goes, I think it all just felt, you know, so natural to me again. And I was like, man, that was so great, right. you know, and the fans were awesome, too. And I'm so glad that they, you know, like, really embraced the sport and embraced the team. And so when I got that phone call over summer, um, I was like, wow, like this would be, I would absolutely be interested by all means. And, you know, the, the organization was, was wonderful and supportive. And, I, you know, that's such an important thing in today's day and age to have a, a company that is supportive and is behind you because I was um, about to give birth when they called me. And I was mm-hmm. like, uh-huh. I would love to do this, you know, but I'm, I'm about to have my, my baby and it's my first baby. So I don't really even know like what to expect. And they were like, right. hey, no pressure. Like when you are ready to come back, like, let us know. And, you know, it worked out well. My son was born in August. And so I missed the preseason games. But, you know, by by the time we had our home opener, I was I was ready to go. And, you know, and it was just nice to feel that support. I didn't feel this like pressure of like, I'm going to lose this job if I don't, you know, I have to pick between my family and what I want to do. So, you know, that meant a lot to me and has stayed with me. So, yeah, it's just been it's just been a dream, honestly. (laughs) So you mentioned kind of being scared about being lame or boring or anything. But I mean, it's your first season. So we got to congratulate you on winning a NHL fan choice award for best team video, the legendary Jackson interview. (laughs) I mean, that one goes insanely viral, viral. You you, you're on uh, quote saying it's one of the most memorable interviews of your career. I mean, (laughs) I'm sure people have asked you this a ton. But I mean, what's that? What was that interview like? I mean, that that kid was just insane i mean it was awesome how talkative and crazy he was yeah he's oh my gosh jackson one of my friends from home had commented on a post and said like may this interview never die and i was like i know he's the best um he was you know and um what was amazing about it to me is you know so having coached for all these years you know i'm it's not uncomfortable for me to talk with kids you know i talk with them all the time um, and so it's always interesting to me to kind of get a feel for how these, how the kids are going to be. Some of them are very talkative. Some of them are very talkative before the camera comes on and then, you know, it gets a little too real and then understandably they get a little bit more nervous. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jackson was like, he went the opposite direction. Like he took it up a notch. Like, you know, every yeah, time we oh, do yeah. those, those mind of the night interviews, I try to 
give the kids, you know, it's very brief, but I try to give them just a quick rundown of like, hey, I'm just going to ask you da, 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 da. I tell them whatever I'm going to ask them. And, and I tell them, hey, don't, you know, don't pretend that there's like a million people here. I know there are, but like pretend it's me and you or, hey, pretend you're talking to mom and dad in the car on the way home from practice. You know, I try to give them something to kind of calm them down a little bit. And Jackson was like, yeah, cool. I got this. I was like, all right. Go ahead. And uh, I said, I'm going to ask you about this and this. And he kind of, okay. And I could see he was kind of preparing his answers. And then he goes, oh, he's like, Ann, I have something else I'm going to tell you, but you're going to have to wait for the interview for that one. And I was like, was, was oh, this, this a tarantula crazy. part? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was like, well, this is going to be good. I had no idea what was coming, but like, I knew he was going to like, he had something up his sleeve that he wanted to yeah. tell me. And obviously it did not disappoint. And, uh, and he's come back to the arena a couple of times since we had him for kids night. You know, I had right, um, right. kid co-hosts with me and then he was working for Monumental Sports Network doing some interviews. Um, and he's just, you know, every time I see him, he's just like this ball of positive energy and laughter. And he always has something funny to say that he doesn't even realize how hysterical it is, which makes it so much funnier because he's not trying. Um, and so it was just, you know, it's just one of those interviews that I think, you know, I'll be like 70 and I'll still remember that interview and how right. just excited he was. To, and it was just, I think what was so cool about it was that he was just so genuinely um, excited. And it was like this heartfelt emotion. He wasn't like right. trying to turn it on for the camera. He wasn't, you know, he was just living his best life in that moment. <laughs> it was, Literally. You know, that's witness it, which was pretty amazing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for sure. So a couple more questions here for you. So Cap's obviously a lot of in-game entertainment, like find the puck under that green turtle shell or spot the cow, the in-game trivia. Which one of these kind of mm-hmm. fan interactive games uh, is your favorite? Oh, my gosh. So we, we, like you said, we have a lot. Our, you know, I got to give a big shout out to our game entertainment crew. I mean, there's a lot of us that work behind the scenes that are, you know, the hours they put in um, are, are pretty amazing. And, and the effort and the care they put into trying to create this content that, you know, yeah, you come to a hockey game, but you're getting such a great experience uh-huh. all around. Um, and so obviously, you know, you know, Wes and Byron are on the PA. And so mm-hmm. between the two of them and myself, we have the different, you know, the different games that we do. Um, so Wes and Byron kind of handle a lot of the ones that you'll see on the, on the board. They do it through the PA. Um, I do a lot of the enterprise hat trick challenge, which I love because, you know, we don't tell the contestants the answers beforehand. And so it's always, a little bit of like a guilty pleasure to watch them get a little bit nervous because they're like, you're really not going to tell me what the trivia question is? I'm like, no, like that ruins the fun. You have to, oh, you know, because yeah. we ask them. Like, I've been in that situation know. before. <laughs> Doing yeah. the trivia. I'm like, do like, I get any hint? Yeah. Like, no. <laughs> so, you know, to me, that's always fun. And we try to make the questions somewhat challenging. You know, we don't want to be like, who wears number eight? You know, like yeah, we want like, to try and on. find somebody who's got, yeah, like who's got some, some knowledge and, and, you know, our, our game presentation director does a really good job of kind of tying the questions into significant events that have happened for the team, you know, whether it's having to do with the standings or whether we're having um, a theme night, you know, he kind of makes it all channel together in that way. Uh, but it's always fun for me to watch the contestants that, you know, like, all right, we're getting ready to go live. And they're like, oh man, okay. And I'm like, it's going to be okay. So, you know, it's kind of cool to be in that moment with them and, and like the look of genuine relief when they, when they get the answer right. And then they still get a prize and they're like, oh, okay, great. You know, and, and I get to be there for all of that roller coaster of emotions. Right. I mean, we go to pretty much most of the home games here. We've been going to, I mean, I've been going to games since around the 97, 98 season. My parents started taking me, but as of recently, I've, since we started the cow game, I've never seen anybody lose spot to cow. 
do you cheat and yeah. pat this person on the back? Because, I mean, there's 20,000 people screaming and yelling and pointing. And if they're taking a while, do you just pat them on the back? Like, dude, it's right there. Come on. Just turn the camera a little yeah. bit left. I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what's, what's nice is that we, you know, we do not tell them where the cow's coming from. Um, right. The only clue I ever give the contestants, just so that they're not looking in, like, random places. That I'm like, the cow will not be hiding behind the screen where you can't see him or behind right. you. I was like, he will definitely be, like, within view of the camera. But beyond that, I'm not telling you. But, uh, like I said, we have the best fans, and the fans are great because they're obviously scanning the arena too and so once the fans spot it if the the fan that's playing the game hasn't found the cow yet you'll start hearing in the background you'll uh-huh. hear other fans being like you know left right up down uh-huh. whatever you know and helping them kind of find the find the cow but yeah i mean for the most part people are pretty amazing with that like they they find that cow and and it's so funny because we on the front end like i said we don't tell them where it is and there was this stretch in like november that the people were finding these cows and like record time oh yeah and then we kept hearing over the headset from like the control room for our game director he's like you guys you have to stop telling them where the cows are and i'm like we're not telling them i swear to god i was like no we're not and he's like well now we have to just start finding a different place to hide the cow i don't understand how they're finding the cow this fast so we were having a good laugh in the on the front end of the game entertainment team. We're like, I, I promise you, we're not telling them where they are. I don't, I don't know what's happening. But them come out on the bench. They're, they're finding expecting it. Yeah, I know. I'm like, well, we can get real creative and like, I don't know, have them come out of the tunnel or something. But you know, we kind of right. have to have enough time for them to be able to get to the next thing. So, right. um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's always it's always a fun time from our perspective too. You know, like the night flies because we're always doing something, you know, like you're always setting up for that next time out and that next contest. And like, you know, top shot, we start setting up for in the second, because, you know, we got it. We don't have a ton of time yeah, to run sure. down there and get it ready. So, you know, for us, the night kind of flies by. And so you have these kind of moments where things just become really funny because you're a little flat happy. And you're like, I remember we were just dying <laughs> laughing about getting yelled at about the cow. And I was like, I promise you we're not telling them where it is. Like it was like this big conspiracy that like we had told them where the cow was. So it was, it was pretty funny for us on the on that end. Love it. So last one I ask you here, I'll flip the script on you and ask you a question. You asked some mites on ice. Who is your favorite Caps player? Oh, man. You know, and at the risk of sounding cliche, because everybody says Ovechkin, um, yeah. I got to say Ovechkin. And I got to tell you, because his work ethic is, is just incredible to me. And I look at it from the perspective of a, co- of a coach. You know what I mean? I think right. you, you admire him for the amazing – player that he is and and the numbers that he has and the statistics that he has are just they're just crazy right they're just you just can't even imagine mm-hmm. someone achieving those things um but you know this season we had a vip ticket holder event at the mgm and the guys were there a handful of the players were there because they were signing sticks and signing autographs and you know in between stuff everyone was kind of sitting in the back room and you know we're sitting there and i'm going over my script kind of figuring out what's coming next and he's sitting at the table and he's watching tape, like just watching film and, you know, kind of talking to himself and talking to one of the other players. And he's just kind of like taking notes on his own play. And I'm like, it's a random, you know, I, I think it was like a Wednesday night or a Tuesday night that we had that event, like 8 PM, you know, like could just right. be relaxing, could just be having a drink and having a good time. And he's sitting there watching tape from a previous game and trying to figure out how it could have gone better and what he could have done better. And I'm like, that's the work ethic that is just, that's what gets you to that point. You know, you hear of like the greats, you know, you got like Kobe, mm-hmm. LeBron, and like they didn't just yeah. talent is talent, but you know, talent doesn't get you 
there and it doesn't keep you there for that long. You know, that staying power and being able to perform at that level season after season, year after year. I mean, you know, you said you played hockey, like it takes a toll on your body and to have that same drive every year, you know, and to come back, like, you know, you won the Stanley cup, right? Like you've won it, you've won the whole thing. And then you got to think that those wheels started turning, but he was like, okay, well, how are we going to do it again? How are we going to do all of that again next season? And how am I going to get better next season? And that's from a coaching perspective. I'm like, man, if like, if I had students that have that kind of drive and determination, you know, that's rare. That's why there are not a billion Ovechkins. There's not a billion great in each sport, you know? And so that to me is admirable. So that's why, you know, a lot of my students, when they talk about who their sports heroes are, I ask them, you know, you know, what about them do you love? You know, and it has to come down to their work ethic and their love of the game, because that love of the game is what's going to drive you through the injuries through the times where, you know, we've all been there. You don't want to go to practice, right? Especially mm-hmm. in summer when it's beautiful out and people are getting ready to go out. You're like, well, I just really don't want to go inside the rink right now or inside the gym, <laughs> right. but you do, you know, cause it's that love of the sport that drives you. And so I think that that is just such an admirable quality and it is, it's a rare quality and it's a rare quality to see for such a long period of time. You know, it's not like I just wanted to push and get to one and all right, I'm good. I'm happy now. I made it. You know, like it's it's always that drive to continuously be better. And I think that that is just such a, an incredible attribute to have. And so that is why I would go and say that Ovechkin is my favorite catch player. Love it. Absolutely love it. So Sandra, thank you so much for coming on. It was great talking to you. Hopefully by next season, we're back in Capital One Arena. Uh, we get some fans hey, I in hope there. So. And uh, if we, when we are, I, like we said, we go to a ton of games, we'll have to find you. And hey, if you want to let me try to spot the cow, then yeah, feel free. <laughs> absolutely thank you so much for having me on and like you said yeah i hope we're back in the arena i am sure. uh, i was thoroughly looking forward to hosting some playoff games i, I know feel, i know i feel That's... like we all got gypped on these playoff games i really want to host them so we're gonna have to get back in that arena and get back to playoffs again so that i can yeah. experience the the magic of playoffs as a host in the arena and uh with all of our twenty thousand closest friends <laughs> exactly exactly so thanks again and enjoy your vacation thank you so much Broken along, I feel the rain crashing down All around this empty town We're searching for the lost and found But you don't care, you're unaware Keep moving like the scars aren't even there It's in the air, like a blazing flare Just there cause the flames will burn us I thought you were the one for me That's why Cry.